0: Hey, I'm, uh, my name is Blake, and if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, uh, I look forward to that, and um, man, it's, uh, it's an honor uh, to just be a part of Christ Community Church. Uh, if you are new with us, or maybe you're new to this whole church thing, um, we gather here on Sunday mornings most of the time, <laughs> uh, but we gather to go, right? We gather to go. Um, we gather here in this place to think about what it means to have a relationship with God, to, to strengthen our relationship with God, knowing that that relationship is going to send us back out into the world, that it's going to push us to go outside. And so um, <laughs> I'm one of our pastor elders here. I just I just get to help lead in that effort of going outside to the world. Um, so if you're new with this, uh, I'm excited that you're here. I pray that, uh, that the Lord would uh, change you today through His Spirit and through His Word. So, um, if, you have a, if you have a cell phone, I want you to get your cell phone out. If your neighbor already had their cell phone out, you can look at them with shameful eyes. Just kidding, just kidding. Um, all right, so uh, on these handy-dandy cell phones that you have, there is an app called the Bible app. It's an amazing thing. Uh, if you don't have that, I'm going to encourage you to download that because uh, Kenny Mattingly, our associate pastor here, he, uh, he has helped us do something really cool. Uh, If you do have that, you can go in there, and um, when you click the app, you can go to More, and you can hit Events. And if you turn your location services on, Christ Community Church should pop up there. And what's really awesome about that is when you click on that, you're going to be able to see today's scripture, notes from the sermon today, uh, links to a Bible plan we're going to read together as a church this week, all kinds of announcements and things for you to engage with right there, all right? So, right here, right now, at the beginning of the sermon, the pastor is giving you permission to be on your phone. How awesome is that? You can, uh, if you so choose, I hope you don't choose this, but if you so choose, you can be on Facebook for the next half hour or so, and nobody can say anything to you. How about that? No, I'm just kidding. Please don't. (laughs) But uh, we do want to encourage you to check that out. Uh, While you're hopefully pulling that up, maybe downloading the app, I want to just kind of, man, I want to talk about the family here for a minute. So, uh, last week is um, what we call Love Shelbyville Day. It rained a lot. Uh, it rained a lot, a lot, and um, you know it's always crazy when it rains on Love Shelbyville Day. But it's always amazing to me to see what God does. So I wanted to share this with you in case some of you didn't see it. This is from one of our partners, a place to sleep. Um, and here's what's so cool about this: Denise Long, where's in her spot? She's in her spot right here. She she was leading this group, and you know, like on a rainy Sunday, we're all trying to figure out like what's going to actually happen. And so we're like, well, probably not doing this, probably not doing this. So we announced all the groups, and then she, like, stands up at the end, and she's like, I got a text. We're doing it. And so, like, her group didn't even get, like, officially announced. And A Place to Sleep posted this. Said, we prayed for a break in the rain, and our prayers were answered. 26 more children received their beds this morning. There was a break in the rain. 26 beds get delivered. Twenty-six. Think about that. 26 kids in our community that were sleeping on the floor on Saturday night slept in a bed on Sunday night. That's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. We can be excited about that, right? So, um, it's just so cool to me, um, you know, when you have those rainy love bills, it, it always causes you to peel back the layers and go like, man, why, why do we do this? Why do we do this to ourselves, it feels like, right? And uh, man, this was such a great reminder, but another great reminder um, came as we kind of gathered this this weekend for Um, an equip class, a parenting weekend. And man, as we went through that class, it was such a great reminder that Love Shelbyville is an awesome opportunity for us as families to teach our kids what it means to put our faith in action. So here's some of the the parents who uh, were at the the parenting classes this weekend. What a great... I I just tried to, um, I tried to like in my head tally up how many kids are going to be impacted by their parents being, you know, in this class. Uh, they're they're learning that, that discipline and love go hand in hand, and that those things help us to do Deuteronomy six. Those things help us to be good parents. And there's at least 30 kids represented just in this class, man, whose whose lives are going to be different, who have an opportunity to hear the gospel because of what their parents are doing to invest in them and love on them. And so, uh, man, that that's just an incredible incredible thing too. Uh, something else incredible is going on in the state of Kentucky. Uh, Cats are five and zero. Oh. I mean, I just saying, cats are 5-0, and oh. um, I'm not judging you because that was your biggest cheer, it's it's okay, it's okay, you know, 30 kids, lives are changed, 26 beds, but cats are 5-0, and oh. I mean, you know, it's okay, no judgment, um, but it is pretty fun, um, who knew that Benny Snell, a football player, would be the biggest celebrity at Tent City, I mean, who would have ever guessed that would have happened, so pretty fun time to be in the state of Kentucky, um, Side announcement, she's going to kill me. Katie Gaither had a birthday yesterday, so tell, I know, she's she's getting old. Just tell her that. She, so, um, no, she's awesome, and we celebrate with her. And then today we're starting this new series. This is our last series uh, in the book of Mark. We've been going through the book of Mark all year, and this series is called Eight Days a Week. Eight days a week because uh, we're, we're looking kind of uh, at some of the, you know, we're still in that last week that Jesus spent. He's coming to Jerusalem, and when he first comes into Jerusalem, there's a lot of tension in Jerusalem. There's a lot of, of people who are trying to take Jesus down, and um, man, as I think about what's going on in that context, I think it plays so well to maybe what's happening in our lives and in our world as we think about a broken and divided culture. Think about the hate that's getting thrown back and forth um, across proverbial aisles, and um, and we have a lot to learn from Jesus as he responded to, to the people of his day. So um, so if you would, join me in reading our passage for today, and then we're going to pray for our time and the word together. going to be in Mark 11, verses 12 through 25. Hopefully you're able to find that in the, in the app or in your Bible, and if not, we've got it on the screen for you. It says, the next day when they, they is Jesus and his disciples, the next day when they went out from Bethany, he was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree with leaves, he went to find out if there was anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. They came to Jerusalem and he went into the temple and began to throw out those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves and would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. He was teaching them, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. The chief priests and the scribes heard it and started looking for a way to kill him, for they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was astonished by his teaching. Whenever evening came, they would go out of the city. Early in the morning, as they were passing by, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. And then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. And Jesus replied to them, Have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. And therefore I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you your wrongdoing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your written word to us. It doesn't just teach us. It doesn't just inform us. It changes us. It transforms us. And so we know that that happens when your spirit comes and teaches it to us in a way that's life-changing. And so, God, we pray that, uh, that we would see the gospel in your word today. We pray that we would recognize that hope comes from a holy God, from a holy word, and that we were created in the image of that holy God, that you loved us enough to send your son Jesus. And so it's in his name we pray. Amen. When I was in seventh grade, I had to take a class called Industrial Technology. My teacher was Mr. Martin Rebeck. He had the craziest... uh, like, hair, like, he was like, he looked like a mad scientist. And um, he had this idea that seventh graders in North Davies High School, where I went, um, that's not Owensboro, I'm from Indiana, uh, but, but we were to come up with a business plan and actually sell products or merchandise to the people in our school. We had to work in groups of four, and, and so um, it was on that day in industrial technology class that Cougar Keychains was born. Cougar Keychains were awesome. And um, we would we would take these little pieces of wood and we would like use a press and we'd cut out a circle. We'd drill a little hole in for the key ring. We'd put an orange Cougar paw on the front because we were orange and white Cougars like Clemson. And then, whew, this is next level. Guys, you could get customized keychains. So whatever you wanted on the back was written in orange writing They were marvelous. I mean, they were selling, like, hotcakes. The first day, I think we sold tens. You know, I mean, it was amazing, this this business that was forming in the halls of North Davies High School. And um, I kind of have a dominating personality sometimes, so you can guess that I was leading my group, and I was barking a lot of orders. And then it happened. Someone came and they said, this keychain is really great, but my name is misspelled. So I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Production, right? I walked back into the production. I was like, guys, what? Like, what is this? We messed up something. Like, this is what we're selling. Like, I was seriously upset. I'm in seventh grade. I think I've got the world by the tail. And I'm, like, getting on the, the little girl. She was my age, I guess, but she's little then. Uh, I'm getting on this girl for misspelling someone's name on the back of a keychain. All we had to do was get her a new keychain. And she, like, you know, just whimpers, kind of cowers, and I'm like, that's it. I'm going to do all the writing on the keychains. Because that's what a good leader does, right? And so I began to just take over, and I'm doing all the keychains. And then the funniest thing happened. The next time that a keychain came back and had the name misspelled, it wasn't nearly as big of a deal. Isn't that funny how that happens? I don't know, maybe it doesn't happen to you. It happens to me all the time. I lost hope in the team. I thought, I know I can count on myself, so I'll just jump in and do this, and then when I'm taking so much pride in what I'm doing, I, all of a sudden, I begin to accept things that aren't right. It feels a little bit more okay to be a little bit off the mark, because I've got more grace for myself than I do for others. Let me bring it maybe a little bit more into the real world and into my life today, uh, you know, they say that, that money is one of the things that can divide marriages quicker than anything else, and um, by God's grace, it hasn't divided our marriage, but, you know, money was one of those things in our house that was like, we kind of talked about and we kind of were on the same page with, but I took care of all that too, <laughs> right, and it, it became the same way. I, I kind of lost hope in the team aspect of a marriage and money, and I, I kind of just began to think that I could do it by myself, and, and then I kind of began to overlook when we made mistakes with our money because I was taking care of the money and I had grace for that. Well, by God's grace in that, <laughs> for this situation, uh, Caitlin, we had a, an equip finance class uh, just uh, just ended a couple weeks ago. And she was like, she came to me and she was like, hey, I'm going to take that class. And I was like, why? I've got our money taken care of. You know, she's like, no, I think I'm going to go take that and learn. Man, God's been so good in that because he's, He, you know, it's not only we disagreed about it, but he brought us together on the same page. But I see this happening a lot in my life. Maybe it happens in yours. I lose, hope, I lose hope in, like, the greater good. I lose hope in the team. And when I lose hope in, in community and other people, I begin to count on myself a little too much, and I begin to accept things that, that aren't right. And this is exactly what we see happening in the day of Jesus. People had lost hope in this Jewish religious system, Right? And so they just counted on themselves, and they accepted the things that weren't right. You know, just, you know what, I can't change it. I'm just going to accept the things that aren't right. We see it in what's happening in the temple. Verses 15 through 17, we kind of go back there. There's some, some context clues that we need to make sure we're aware of. It says, they came to Jerusalem, right? So they're coming to Jerusalem. It's Passover time, which means anybody who was Jewish by faith, but not an Israelite, they were going to be coming to Jerusalem to to make their sacrifice, to do the right thing, right? They were just going to take care of themselves. So they're coming to Jerusalem, and, and Jesus and his disciples, they go into the temple, and they begin to throw out those buying and selling. Whoa, whoa, whoa what's going on? He overturns the money, the tables of the money changers, and the chairs of those selling doves, and he would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. And he was teaching them, it's not written, my house will be called, uh, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, and you have made it a den of thieves. See, there's some things happening here that, that we've got to understand context to for it to make sense. Number one is that Jesus says this is this is not a house of prayer for all nations. And so what's happening is there's this inner court where like the real Jews, the Israelite Jews, can go, but, but all of this buying and selling is happening in, in some of these outer courts. And they're not allowing those who, who aren't Israelite Jews to come in. The Gentiles, they've got to stay out on the fringe because they're not quite as good as the Israelite Jews. Like, that's part of what is making Jesus upset, is that people are treating people unfairly. Not only that, right? So so then they begin to turn this place into a market. And it's not that they were, you know, it, it would have made sense. Some of these people would travel for lots of miles, and they would have needed to, to purchase a sacrifice. So there's nothing wrong with that, per se. But what's happening is, is that guys are starting to make big business out of this. They're starting to take advantage of the people. And so here we have people being treated as second-class citizens. They're being taken advantage of. And and this is what has gotten Jesus upset. And somewhere in all this crazy mix of people and, and sin and injustice were these religious leaders who are trying to maintain their personal influence and power. They see it all happening. They probably know that it's wrong, but they're in charge of it, right? I'm in control, and so I'm just going to overlook some of these things that don't seem right. And so in all likelihood, the people today had just given up hope that things would ever be right. They just did what they could with what they had. They tried their best to do what was right as far as it pertained to them and, and not really worry about anybody else. Does that apply to us? As a people, man, there's all kinds of things that I think we can say we've lost hope in. You watch what's happened just with this week with Kavanaugh, right? Just the political system in general. As people, we've lost hope in the American political system. We started counting on ourselves, and we've just started accepting the things that aren't right. We say that we come together around elections and tragedies, but now in elections, we come together to separate the Democrats and the Republicans. Right, each, tri- each side tries to find its platform and issues and cut the other side out we've done the same with so many other issues and somewhere in this crazy mix are the religious leaders of our day there's a wide spectrum from humble servant leader to narcissistic power monger there's leaders who want to be inclusive even if sin is running rampant and then there's legalism that keeps anyone from being a part of it at all And when I talk to to many, some of you, people outside our church, people in our state and nation, when I talk to people, there's little hope that America can or will be united anytime soon. We're becoming convinced that the toxicity of our our critical and divided and broken culture is going to leave anything but shambles for the generations to come. And so for many of us, our response is to just hunker down, count on ourselves, and do what's right for us. We look back at this temple and we say how could the religious religious leaders have let this go on and yet we see some of ourselves in them. As you and I have lost hope that our lives could ever be all that God intended them to be, right? Because when we start to lose hope in other things, we start to lose hope in God and so we've counted on ourselves and we just accepted things in our lives that aren't right. What's that look like? We put our hope in anything that gives us the illusion of peace, anything that'll just give me get me away from the storm of life for just a moment. We put our hope in money, our hope in weekend getaways. We we put our hope in elusive college scholarships that every kid in youth league is you know probably going to get. We put our hope in our jobs and in our networks. We put our hope ultimately in ourselves. We bet on ourselves to make our life right. But over time, and sometimes quickly, each of these things let us down, and we just we begin to lose hope. We can getaways are great, but they cost money, and when money goes away, our jobs aren't good enough, obviously. And when we lean into our network looking to find a better job, and they can't deliver, man, we just look around and say, you can't trust anybody these days. All because we've searched for hope in all the wrong places. But when we've lost hope in each other and we start counting on ourselves, we start accepting things that aren't right. All of a sudden, it becomes okay to overlook injustices because it helps us to skirt through. Can't help but wonder what the implications of Jesus flipping tables in a temple full of injustice has for our unjust lives. Because I think if we're honest not one of us in this place can stand, look in the mirror, and say, everything is right in my life. There is nothing unjust in me. So what is it that we can learn from this encounter in the temple? Verse 18 says this, the chief priests and the scribes heard it. (laughs) I like this, they heard it, right? What do you think they heard first, the tables crashing or the teaching? (laughs) Right? You just start to picture it like they're sitting in their little holy place up inside, you know, in the inner court somewhere, and all of a sudden there's tables banging everywhere. They run out, and they catch the end of Jesus' teaching, and he's saying, man, you've turned this place into a den of thieves. They heard it, and they started looking for a way to kill him. Man, what a sign of what was going on in their heart the religious leaders of the day, their first instinct is to kill Jesus. For they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was astonished by his teaching. You see, they weren't afraid because he flipped tables. They were afraid because he was teaching truth. The biggest thing that was flipped that day was not tables. It was hearts. People knew that Jesus was right when he said his house was for all nations, not just Jewish ones. People knew that he was right when he called it den of thieves because they were pocketing cash left and right. Tables got turned, no doubt, but so did hearts. And that's where hope comes from. A holy God working to overturn unholiness in our lives. You see, it was a holy God who restored the hope of Adam and Eve by covering their nakedness and protecting them from the tree of life so that they wouldn't have to experience eternal death. That's hope restored. It was a holy God who rescued a guy named Joseph as he was unjustly sold into slavery and positioned him to use his wisdom to provide for millions of people. That's how hope was restored by a holy God. It was a holy God who would not stand for Pharaoh's enslavement of people to build his kingdom and then sent Moses to provide leadership in the rescue mission that restored the hope of an entire nation. It was a holy God who valued Daniel's integrity in the face of persecution in the face of real life lions, and used it to bring heartless kings to a place of hope in God. And it was a holy God who sent his own son to pay for the ugly and horrendous sins of each and every person here today, so that all of humanity would have a reason to hope in the God of the universe. You see, our hope comes from a holy God. Hope comes from a holy God. It's the only pure source. He is the only pure source. He's the only one who won't let you down. He's the only one who has pure integrity. He's the only one that you can truly count on to restore you to the life that you were meant to live because he's the one who created and designed you. You see, don't miss this. Hope comes from a holy God. God is holy. The amazing thing about the God of the universe who is holy is that he created you in his image. God created you in that holy image of himself. But sin, but sin, sin affected you before you were born, we read in Psalm 51. You were marred. You were dead in sin before you had a chance. You were unable to fix yourself. And so, in his great grace and in his mercy, He sent Jesus, he sent Jesus not just to to fix you, not just to change you, but to take you from being dead in sin to alive in Christ. He trades out your heart, guys. That heart that is killed by sin before you're born, he takes the dead one and he gives you a brand new one. He changes you from the roots up, This heart that he gives to you is wired to make you right, to make you holy. And slowly, your life begins to change from the unholy mess that it is. Day by day, new blood pumping through your veins, restoring the image of God in you, the image of God that is holy, until the day that you leave this world and you are united with Christ. And the process of making you holy is completed only by being in his presence. That's how much the holy God of the universe loves you. That He would send His Son to make sure that you had a new heart, so that you could become holy as He is holy. You know, <clears throat> unfortunately, I have too many conversations that basically go like this. You know, I just don't feel like I just don't feel like anything is happening in my life with God. Like I don't feel like anything is changing. I don't I don't see anything different in my life. When you see little to no change in your spiritual life, when you, like the fig tree that we're going to talk about in a minute, are producing no fruit, it's likely because you have put your hope in the wrong place. You've counted on yourself to produce the life that you desire, and you've accepted things that are wrong. What you're trying to do is you're trying to build a life with a dead heart, and that doesn't work. And so I pray, and I hope that you would join me in praying, that if that is you today, that if you have never asked Jesus to forgive you and to change your old heart out for a new one, I pray that Jesus would overturn some tables in your life. Because you see, your greatest moments of hope, the moments that you find the most hope in God and in life, come when Jesus overturns unholy tables in your life. When things that have become old and stale and broken get flipped upside down by God, you will no doubt find new hope in His holiness. You see, when lies that you've accepted are on the table, I pray that Jesus would flip it over. Lies like I'm not good enough. Lies like I'll always be this way. Lies like I'm the only one that I can count on. That's a lie. Lies like it will be okay if I allow a little sin in my life because I've got the forgiveness of Christ. If those lies are resting in you, I pray that Christ would flip them over today. When wrongs that happen on your watch are on the table, maybe they're things in your business that you're letting slide. Maybe there are things in your home that you're allowing. When things that are wrong are happening on your watch, I pray that Jesus would flip over that table. When every thought in your head and every internal instinct is about how you get ahead or about how you stay safe, I pray that Jesus would turn over that table and push you to go outside. Instead of counting on yourself to bring out change in yourself and in our world, how can you instead put your hope in a holy God? How can you do that? I love this passage in Mark. Mark, Mark's like a—he's a fun writer, right? So if you notice when we were reading, he starts, and you've got this account of the fig tree. Fig tree is not producing fruit. Jesus curses the fig tree. Then we go to the temple, and then we come back, right? We come back to the scene of the fig tree. Why would Mark do that? In literature, we call this an inclusio, right? Perhaps Jesus was teaching his disciples something a little more. Jesus was teaching the disciples how to not become fruitless and dead like this fig tree. He was teaching them how to not get into the place that the temple was in because it could happen to the disciples, the very 12 who walked with Christ, who saw all these great things happen. In just a moment, They could be in the same spot that these religious leaders were in in the temple, willing to look past the wrongs, willing to allow sin to reign. He says, I don't want you to be this way. Don't be like the fig tree. I love what it says in verse 20 as they come back to the fig tree. It says, early in the morning as they were passing by, they saw the fig tree withered from, what's it say? The roots up. Isn't that interesting? Just a fun little detail from Mark there. How many of y'all ever use Roundup at your house? Praise God for Roundup. I mean, tell you what, I grew up on the farm, and we didn't care about Roundup too much, but then when I came to town, it's like it became more important because if you got a weed sticking out of your sidewalk, your neighbor's going to let you know sometimes. Praise God for Roundup. But when I use Roundup, my flower beds are on my thing, it doesn't kill it from the roots up, right? You see the leaves start to wither, and if you don't, by the end of the day, you're like... I think i need to spray that one again right the leaves wither and then it, it just begins to shrink down it turns brown but this is something different right jesus is leaving no doubt this thing withered from the roots up and when we lose hope when we lose hope in life for whatever reason when we're battling depression when we're just not sure if we can make it through today if we're not sure that, that we're going to be able to do this this week if we don't know why our faith seems to be faltering when we lose hope it's often because our roots are planted in something else. And hope is rooted where we place our faith. And that's what Christ begins to teach his disciples. Read with me in verse 22. Jesus replied to them, Have faith in what? God. Have faith in God. Truly I tell you, he says, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Justice in our lives and in our world and in our community starts with faith in a holy and just God. You know, as Jesus says this, uh, we, we sang about it, right? The mountain, moving mountains, all those things. What's really neat is that we don't think about, again, context. So, as Jesus says this, they're standing in the shadow of a huge mountain. And so, Jesus is like, Listen, guys, it's simple. Have faith in God. You put your faith in who God is, not what God does. Have faith in who God is, not what God does. And then he's kind of looking around for an example, and he's like, You see that mountain? If you have faith in God, you can even move that thing, right? It's like, Here's the example, here's the illustration. There is no limit when you put your faith in God. But for many of us, what we do is we make our faith contingent upon what God does. Like, well, I'll believe in God if he'll move that mountain. Have faith in who God is, not in what God does. You see, it's not whether or not you believe God can do something. It's whether or not you believe that God will act in a way that's holy and just and right and loving. Do you trust God to do the right thing. This is a hard thing, right? Faith in God is, a, is an incredibly hard thing, and um, man, for some of us, we're just analytical, critical minds, and not, like, that is good, and that is great. I want to, I want to take this moment as we're talking about faith and, and having difficulty with faith to uh, throw up a couple of recommendations from Kenny uh, on, on that. A couple of books I'd recommend you pick up, The Reason for God, Belief in an Age of Skepticism by Tim Keller, and The Problem of God by Mark Clark. So you can snap a picture of that, write those down. We'll maybe send them out this week. Two books that I would recommend on that, right? But just from a personal standpoint, right, from Blake to you, here's what I would say to the person who's struggling with the reality of God. The reality of God is built upon a relationship with him. It's built upon a relationship that starts at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, relationships change the focus of our faith. When I begin to have a relationship with God, I'm trusting and believing and having faith in Him, not in what He does for me or what He does in our world, but in Him. It was around a year ago that one of the most unjust acts that I can remember uh, in my lifetime happened in Charlottesville, a group of white supremacists, Nazi white people, um, rioted. It was horrendous. It was a black mark, I think, on our culture. And um, I I remember preaching on it that Sunday, and and then maybe like many of you, kind of had to wrestle with it, and then life goes on, right? Right? Life just goes on. It wasn't in my world, it wasn't in my sphere of influence, you know. Sure it was unjust, it was injustice, but you know, it's just okay. I accept that. And a couple months ago, this story came out that brought all this stuff flooding back, and, and I was just so challenged and convicted by it. There's a guy named Ken Parker. And Ken Parker was a guy who joined hundreds of these other white nationalists um, in this rally at Charlottesville, this this riot. Uh, the article says that that day he wore a black shirt with two lightning bolts sewn onto the collar, the uniform of the National Socialist Movement, an American neo-Nazi group. <laughs> His story is incredible. That day of the riots, he and uh, a group of his friends had headed back to the parking garage to regroup after after the rally was declared an unlawful assembly. And he said there he met a filmmaker named Dia Khan, and she was filming the event for a documentary on hate groups, and he recalls in that moment where he's been protesting anyone who's not white, he recalls her kindness. He said, I pretty much had heat exhaustion after the rally because we like to wear our black uniforms, I drank a big Red Bull before the event. He said, and I was hurting, and she was trying to make sure that I was just okay. And in her film, Parker is still completely racist, vehemently just stating his hatreds for Jews, gay people, but as he interacted with Khan, um, his proclamations became less certain. And over a few months, he started having more doubts. And as he's told his story, he said, What happened? He said, Well, this lady, she was completely respectful to me and my fiance the whole time. She's shooting a video and she's showing me respect. And so that kind of got me thinking she's really nice. Just because she's got darker skin and believes in a different God than the God I believe in, why am I hating these people? Started to change. So a few months later, Parker was still having weighing these doubts when he saw an African American neighbor having a cookout near the pool of his apartment complex. And as the sun set in the crowd, then Parker and his girlfriend approached a man, William McKinnon, the third pastor at All Saints Holiness Church. And the long story short is that Pastor McKinnon, pastors at a mostly black church, and he invited Ken Parker to Easter. Kim Parker said yes. He said he walked in and began to tell his story. He said, I was a grand dragon of the KKK and then the Klan wasn't hateful enough for me so I decided to become a Nazi. He said a lot of them, their jaws about hit the floor and their eyes got real big. But after the service, not a single one of them had anything negative to say. They're all coming up and they're hugging me and shaking my hand, you know building me up instead of tearing me down, he said. And he ended up accepting the Lord. He's a member of this church. And I can't imagine how in the world that could ever happen apart from the Spirit of God changing and overturning all kinds of tables in the hearts of all kinds of people. Not just in Ken Parker's, but in every person who sat in that church and had to choose to forgive and forgive again, and forgive again, and forgive again. How could a mostly black congregation forgive a Nazi white convert? How does that happen? You know, they can forgive because they trust who God is. He is holy, and hope comes from a holy God. And they know that this holy God created Ken Parker to be something different than what the world says Ken Parker is. And when we have faith in who God is, we discover the ability to forgive like he forgave us. And when we can do that, it expresses hope in a holy God like nothing else. You see, the fruit of our faith is forgiveness. And that is exactly what Christ wanted to teach his disciples that day. The forgiving the ungodly expresses hope in God. Jesus says, have faith in God. He gives some examples. He talks about prayer in verse 25. He says, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you your wrongdoing. You see, forgiveness is at the core of our biblical Christianity, and yet we struggle with this more than anything else. Ephesians 4.32. Ephesians 4.32 says, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. Colossians 3.13, similar, it says, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone had, has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. You say, but how do I forgive, how do I forgive the person that lied to me, that lied to me repeatedly? How do I forgive the person that treated me like a second-class citizen? How do I forgive the person that left me hanging out to dry? The person that blatantly tried to hurt me? The person who never seems to come through? Peter had the same question in Matthew 18, 21 and 22. It says, Peter approached Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? He says, I tell you, not as many as seven, but 70 times seven. You see, the idea isn't that we forgive someone once and everything is right. It's that we continue to forgive day after day after day because that's what Christ does for us. This is what allows us to stand up for what is right you see when christ walked into that temple and stood up for what was right he did did so knowing that he was also forgiving the wrong that was being done don't stand up to a person that you haven't knelt down and prayed for have you prayed for the person whose post you're about to blast on social media have you prayed for the government leader that you're getting ready to throw under the bus have you prayed for the jerk that you want to confront You see, as people of this world, we give up hope. We count on ourselves and we start accepting things that aren't right. But as people who hope in God, we count on him alone and we don't accept injustice in ourselves or in our communities. Justice starts with faith in a holy and just God and that faith gives us great hope despite all the brokenness and division and uncertainty and the grind of everyday life. I want to finish with, passage from Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 5 that sums this all up. It says, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, see, when we put our faith in God, He declares us righteous, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through Him by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our affliction because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope, this hope in God will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Guys, you'll remain hopeless if you can't forgive. And it's hard to forgive if you haven't been forgiven. You can't be forgiven by God unless you've placed your faith in Him. Hope comes from a holy God. The band is going to come. They're going to sing with us and lead us in singing. And as they do, man, if you've never placed your faith in the God who can take your old heart and make it new, then I would love to, to pray with you and ask Jesus with you to do that. I'll be in the back. Maybe you've already done that, and you realize God's convicting you that there are things in your life that are wrong that you're just choosing to overlook. You've allowed sin to to reign, to creep in. Man, maybe it's just time to, to spend some time in prayer. Repent, to turn from that and say, God, I don't want that anymore. I want the hope that comes from you and your holiness. As you reflect on those things, we invite you to come up and take part in the Lord's Supper if you've been baptized into him. When we do that, we take a piece of the bread and we dip it in the juice. And those things represent Christ's body and Christ's blood that was broken and shed on the cross for us. In that act, he forgave us so that we could forgive others. And that's what we remember as we take that together as a body. If you'd like to give today, you can do so online through the app or there's cans in the back. And that's a that's a way that we respond, it's a way we take a next step and show our faith in God that we trust him in all things but know this if you don't have faith in God right if you've not ever placed your faith in him if your hope is in the wrong place it's tough it's more than tough it's impossible and so we invite you to come into relationship with him today pray God thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus for the new life that he gives to us. And we pray, Father, that for anyone in this room who doesn't have the hope of Christ in them, that they would choose you today. They would give your life over to you. Father, we pray that as we think about forgiveness, who we need to forgive, maybe forgiving ourselves. Father, I pray that you would give us courage to do just that. And as your holiness begins to seep into our lives, I pray that we would find new hope, new hope in you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.